Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter number 6. I announced last week that I was going to be bringing a series of messages on spiritual warfare. After the service, uh, someone uh, made the statement, uh, they said, good message. And said, uh, added this comment to it. People will either love it or hate it. I'm talking about the series. And whenever we delve into the depths of the warfare that we are engaged in, uh, you either love the information or you want to run and hide somewhere. Because make no mistake about it, as Christians, we are in a continuous conflict. Throughout, throughout our time upon this earth. And last week I spoke about being a good soldier in this conflict. And, uh, and I realize that it's not the kind of preaching that a lot of folks want to hear. A lot of people, you know, they, uh, they want fun instead of facts. And uh, some feel just so overwhelmed by the problems in life that... Uh, Day by day, just filled with despair that uh, they don't find any hope of things ever getting better. It seems like they face an impossible situation, and so they just throw in the towel. They just give up. And what we need is to discover a great source of strength that is beyond anything known to man, a source of strength that is able to meet those needs that we could never possibly uh, meet ourselves and that's exactly what we find as we look uh, in our text today life is tough no one knew that better than the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 he said finally I wish I had time this morning to just camp out on that word finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. After speaking about being good soldiers in this continuous conflict that we're in last week, uh, I want to speak about that source of strength today. And before I do, I want to remind you of three things. This is... Not the message, just an introduction to try to get us on the, on the track toward seeing the need for the strength that, that we don't have. First of all, steadfastness in this warfare is commanded by the Lord. It's not an option for us. I, several years ago, here I preached a series of messages on spiritual warfare. In fact, I included a lot of messages that... Uh, that will not be in this series. Uh, but I have one message alone on that word stand. And in that message, I mention four things related to that. First of all, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Because as Peter said, love, think it not strange, this fiery trial that, you know, that you're in. You shouldn't think it strange as so something odd or weird or 
happen to you that others don't experience. So we shouldn't be surprised that we're in a conflict because we are. I said secondly in that message that we should not be sorrowful. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 17 as he was praying for his people and, and he made the statement as he prayed for them that uh, you're in the world but not of the world. And then he said, I pray to the Father that he not take you out of the world. In other words, you're right where you ought to be. And that's because we are on an assignment from the Lord. We have a great commission. And we shouldn't feel sorrowful for the fact that we are living in a time like this. Certainly, there are sad things all around us. But we should never be sorrowful for the fact that we are forced to face the situation that we're in. Because we're not here by accident. He said, I, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but rather that you be with them in the world, that you help them in the world. Thank God that he's there. So don't be surprised by it and don't be, don't be scared. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we shouldn't be slothful. As James tells us that life is like what a vapor. You saw it on the screen a little while ago. We, we only have this moment today. And as Peter tells us, we're to be sober, that is, of a sound mind and vigilant. We're to be awake. We're to be aware of what's going on around us. The second point I want to make is that not only is this commanded of the Lord, but steadfastness is a characteristic of greatness. Regardless of what area you're talking about, steadfastness is a mark of greatness. Anybody can do something occasionally, but it takes somebody with some character to be that way all of the time. That's why we need to realize that even worship is to be a lifestyle. It's not something we just do on Sunday and then we're through with it for the rest of the week. And when it comes to serving the Lord, we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The thing of it is it calls for supernatural resources because <laughs> we are weak in comparison to the enemy that we face. And mark it down, our willpower, our grit, our determination, our bulldog tenacity, whatever you want to call it, is never enough for us to win the battle that we're in. We need resources that's outside of self. And Paul is the author of this letter. And Paul was very familiar with the situation there in Ephesus and very concerned about the church at Ephesus. It was the, the Roman province of Asia, and it was there, maybe in history in school, you read about the so-called great goddess Diana. That's where the temple was. And Paul spent two years there. And no doubt time and time and time again he heard them shouting in the streets as they did, Great is Diana. Over and over and over he heard those words ringing in his ears as he would walk down the street. 
In those two years, he said, I have fought with the beast at Ephesus. And he wasn't talking about uh, the beast as you think of beast. He's talking about the demonic forces that were at work there against the Lord and against his work. And he's wanting this church to understand the source of their strength. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The source of our strength. We are in a conflict. I know this is Father's Day. And believe me, I gave some thoughts. Should I really go ahead? I mean, this was the plan to preach a series on on the, the conflict. The Christian's conflict. The warfare that we're involved in. And the more I thought about it and prayed about it, the more I thought, what better time to, to speak not only to fathers, but to everyone about this matters. Because, Dad, listen, whether you like it or not, or whether you understand it or not, you are at war. We, as a people, are at war. Your, your children are, I want to underline that, your children, not the government's children, Your children are under attack as never before. I mean, I could just sit here for the next 30 minutes talking about the things that are going on, the rotten, filthy, vile, filthy things that's going on in the world today that's being crammed down the throat of your children they can't run away from it hardly because it's in their ear all of the time. They're Hollywood heroes, the politicians, everywhere they turn, it's there. In contrast to what they hear when they come to church. In contrast to what they hear from mom and dad about what's right and what's wrong, they come to the conclusion now, I can do whatever I want to do. Mom and dad's got it all wrong. That old gray-haired, old fogey preacher we got said, he's he, he just out of touch with reality. I'm not going to listen to him. That's what's going on in the world today. And I mention that because dad, mom, all of us need to realize that we are engaged in a war and ill-equipped without the help that only God can give. So I want you to notice three things this morning about the source, the source of our strength. Wherever you're at in life, whether you're 10 years old, whether you're a young married, whether you're elderly, whatever, wherever you are, You need to give heed to what Paul says here. Notice the subject. Verse 10. The power. I underlined the word in red. Power. But notice. The power of what? His might. God's might. And look in chapter 3 verse 16. He says he's writing that they might be strengthened with might. That word might comes from the Greek word that from which we get the English word, it's dunamis, we get the English word dynamite from that word. Dynamite. He's talking about a power that is beyond anything that we have in and of ourselves. Something that is explosive, something that, that only God can produce. 
many, many years ago, one of the most one of the most meaningful quotes I ever read, I think, was written by A.W. Tozer. I jotted it down on all of my old Bibles, and I at one time had it memorized, but I want, I want you to listen to what A.W. Tozer said. And you've heard me give brief quips from this statement before, and I hope you never forget it. The church is called to live above her own ability. She is called to live on a plane that is so high that no human being can live like that of his own ability and power. The humblest Christian is called to live a miracle, a life that is a moral and spiritual life with such intensity and such purity that no human being can do it. And anyone who has really been saved, anyone who has been saved and is pursuing the will of God in their life, I mean, you want God's will done in your life, you can say amen to what he wrote. It takes a miracle. It takes a miracle to save us, but it takes a miracle for us to function as Christians in this world in the conflict that we're involved in. We think about the demands of the Bible, for example. How, how are you and I going to keep all of the demands imposed upon us by the Word of God? I mean, in our own strength. How, how, how could we possibly do that? Love your enemies? You've got to be kidding me. I can't even love most of my friends. Uh, look, the Bible tells us to do things that are impossible. Covet not. Be content in whatever state you're in. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We think about all of these demands from the Bible, and then we think about all of the difficulties that we face in life. Life's not easy for anyone. Then there are the disappointments. One way or another, you're probably going to face some kind of a disappointment before this day is over. Disappointments, difficulties, the demands of duty. But then there are the devices of the devil, and we'll be talking about that much more. The devices of the devil. How are we going to oppose demonic forces? Now, you might be someone here today and say, I don't believe in all that heaven and hell and God and demons kind of stuff. I, I, I don't believe in real angels. Well, then you just don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible, uh, you're in a bad, bad situation because you have absolutely no help that you need. It's available, but you have none of the help that you need to cope with the difficulties of life, with your relationships. I mean, every single area of your life, whether it's domestic, whether it's uh, vocational, whatever it is, you're going to face problems that is above and beyond what you're able to cope with. And then the bottom's going to fall out and there you are in a state of depression and just don't know what to do. And the question is, where do we find this, this help that we need? Where do we find this power, this strength that is beyond what we have? Well, verse 10 shows us the source of this strength. Be strong 
in the Lord and in the power of his might. Chapter 3, verse 16, I'll read the whole verse. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And we'll come back to that later on. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 and verse 18 are so meaningful to me. But verse 18 says, but we all with open that is, with an unveiled face, nothing blocking our vision. With open face, beholding as in a glass, as though you're looking into a mirror and seeing the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And as I say over and over again, the Spirit of God is the agent of change. It's Him changing. It's not what we do, not what we try to do. It's not self-effort. And as I mentioned last week, certainly God requires us to put forth some effort. And we'll talk more about that later. God requires some effort. But with all of our effort, all of our sincerity, there's no way you and I could ever succeed in this battle. No matter how much education you have, or how sincere you are, or how determined you are, even with the help of others. And you know, we all need one another. Thank God for others that are there for us in a time of need. But I'm going to tell you right now, they're never enough. They're never enough for everything you need. Because you need more than what you have. You need more than what man is able to supply. As Paul said, our sufficiency is of God. In other words, it is God alone who, who enables us. It's not our ability, it's us being enabled by the Lord. The Bible gives us several examples over in Zechariah. He says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's, it's not your strength, not your intelligence, not your effort, none of that. It's by the Spirit of God. Micah chapter 3 and verse 8 says, But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For it is God that worketh in you. Aren't you glad? He worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's, you know, it's not what... We do so much for the Lord. You know, we like to talk a lot about that because in some way or another, we, we, will, we want some credit for what we do for the Lord. Let me tell you, it's not about what you do for the Lord. It's what God does through you. Amen. What God does through you. If it's just about what you do for the Lord, I'm going to tell you, you're going to fall flat on your face. It's foolish, you know, for us Christians to just to strive in the strength of the flesh and hope that we're going to prevail, hope we'll get through this. There has to be a wholehearted surrender of ourself to God. You read in Romans chapter 6, I'm so glad we taught Romans this year in our Sunday school. There's so much important information there. In Romans chapter 6, there's some things that we've, you know, you've got to know and some things you've got to reckon to, that is reckoned to believe to be so. 
But it all gets down to that point of surrender in ourself to the Lord. You know, and if, if we're going to win, it's not going to be by self-discipline. Self-discipline is a great thing as far as it goes. And you can have all the self-discipline in the world, positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale, remember, became famous for writing his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Others say, no, you just need to turn over a new leaf. And none of those things enable us to do what God requires from us. And anyone here that doesn't have or see the, any faults in their life or any needs in their life, they're in serious trouble because, again, if you want to do the will of God, you're facing a challenge that's far beyond you. You need help, and you need the kind of help that only God can give. Remember, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You're helpless. Buddha, I don't think I've ever quoted Buddha before. But Buddha made a statement. He said, he is able who believes he is able. But Buddha was an idiot. He is able who believes he is able. I guess that's where Norman Vincent Peale got his positive thinking philosophy. If you believe you're able, then you're able. That sounds like a locker room speech from the coach to his football team. You got to believe you can do it. Uh, you can't always do it. And I'll tell you, it doesn't work when it comes to the conflict that we're involved in. The good thing is that regardless of how fierce the conflict, regardless of the powers that are working against us, there is hope because of the Lord. Because of that, we can have great expectations. And that, that's what Paul was writing about in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse uh, number 20 where it talks about God is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly of all we could ever even ask or think. And I don't know about you, but when I look at that, that says I have a right to live with expectations. Amen. I don't have to look at myself as being a victim of circumstances. If I'm wholeheartedly surrendered to doing the will of God, then whatever happens in my life, Listen carefully. It's one of those things that works together for good. So often we quote that verse and, and then, then really don't believe it because there's a lot of bad stuff in this world, painful stuff. Whenever you get home, it might be good if you have a concordance to get a complete strong concordance and look up all of the words that makes reference to God being able. I don't know of any preacher who hasn't done that at some point in time. Just look up all of those words that God is able. And you'll see what Paul meant when he said he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or even think. We, we can't even imagine what God can do. And here we are struggling with our problems here on earth and never gaining access to the strength and to the power that, uh, that God makes available. 
There's a famous poem, The Marshes of Glen, written by Sidney Lanier many, well, I don't hundreds of years ago, maybe. It's one of those that I was so impressed by that I used to have memorized, but I just know the first two lines now. The marsh, as the marsh end builds on the watery sod, behold, I build my nest on the greatness of God. Let me tell you, that's the only foundation that'll stand secure. So there's no doubt about it that there is a power, a source of strength beyond anything that we have that is available. It's out there. But we need to talk about the sphere of this, of this strength that God makes available. Look at verse 16 again of chapter 3. But that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory I, that He would grant you I love that. He didn't say, now it's there, but you're going to have to really work. You're going to have to climb the highest mountain, swim the widest sea. God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit. Not by anything that we do, but by His Spirit. Now here's the key. This is the sphere that we're talking about. In the inner man. Knowing God is good and great, and that is one thing. You know, you know that He's good, God's great, we sing about it, we know that. God would never do anything wrong. Trusting Him is another thing. In other words, we need both the facts that God is good and God is great. God has a power that none of us possess. That's the facts, but then we need the faith to embrace that as being true and available to us. There shouldn't be any doubt about God's ability, right? Go out at night and look up at the stars and think. Here, there was a time when there was nothing but God. God decided He would create the universe and He just spoke things into existence. Stars here, stars there. Wow, we can't even imagine the greatness of God's power. He just speaks things into existence. Not difficult for God because God is God. So the ability is there and He's made it known not only in creation but through the Word of God and on and on and on. God has made known the greatness of His power But he's also let us know that same power that created the heavens and the earth, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is available to us. The same, think about that, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Boy, the demons must have been dancing in celebration when they thought, ah, we've got him now. There he's dead, he's buried, we, we don't have to worry about him no more. But they were wrong because that, that power of God, the Spirit of God, raised him up from the dead. And the same Spirit resides in it. That's where your life is. You, you'd spiritually be dead as a hammer were it not for the fact the Spirit of God is living in you. The Bible says... 
If you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. You don't belong to God if you have not the Spirit of God. Amen. And the Spirit of God is a real living person. Amen. Part of the Trinity. Living in you. Oh, we all keep thinking about heaven so far away, out, way out yonder somewhere. Me and Brother Kenneth was talking about this the other day. We get to think about heaven being way out there, and yet Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, if he's with us here, and he's with us there, heaven might be a whole lot closer than we ever thought. We, we, we just can't comprehend some things. But the thing we know is that God has the ability and he's made it available. But although it's available, his aid has to be appropriated by us. God's not going to cram it down your throat. God is not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to force you to trust him. You might play a part in making you so miserable that you wish you had because God knows how to get your attention. A lot of folks wonder, why in the world did this happen to me? Well, it just might be God's trying to tell you something. But we have to appropriate it. And let me tell you, we are weak. I am weak. You are weak unless we are strong inwardly. Because the strength isn't us. The strength is the Lord. But it's that inner person. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As Paul talked about the struggles that he had been through. And what he does. He keeps his focus you know, on the Lord. He said that inward man is renewed day by day. That's why we preachers talk about the fact that we need a daily revival. We do. Each one of us. We need a renewal every single day because the sphere where we need this strength is something inward. It's not something you wear. It's not something you do, but it's something that's inward. So how is it then that we can access the, this great power that's being provided for us? I'm going to... Quote the verse that tells you how, and somebody's going to say, oh, no, there he goes again. I hope when I'm dead and gone, every time you think of me, you'll think of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. And the very next verse says, consider him. Consider him, lest ye be weary in your mind and faint. Let me tell you, it's true of every single one of us. If we don't keep our focus on Christ, looking unto Him, that's something that takes place inside of you. And obviously, if we're going to keep our focus on Christ, you can't literally see Christ. We all know that. Someday we will, but we can't see Him right now. But we can be looking unto Jesus. We look unto Jesus, we're spending time in the Word of God, looking unto Jesus. Remember what Paul talked about when he's speaking to those people that were so frustrated with the difficulties and what have you? And he reminds them that, look, you can have peace 
And he tells them to think upon these things. Whatsoever things are lovely and pure and honest and of good report and so forth. Think, meditate, ponder those things. And you'll have a peace that passeth all understanding. A perfect peace is the way he put it, a perfect peace. It passes understanding. Other people are going to look at you and all the trials you're going through, and they're going, to, they're going to wonder, how in the world is he or she? How do they do it? What makes them so different? Because they not only are saved and on the way to, he the way to heaven, but they keep looking unto Jesus, feeding that inner person. And as they do, it causes them to grow and it enables them to cope with the difficulties that come along. One more thing I want you to hang on to. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible. By the way, those are two different things. Some people read it and they think, well, I studied the Bible today. No, you didn't. You just read part of it. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible... And even responding to some extent, doing certain things isn't enough. We have to be willing to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was getting at. He said, be ye filled with the Spirit. That word implying to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. If we really understood how dependent we are on the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, it would change us like nothing else in all of the world. Because so many times we get it in our mind that, I, well, life is tough, but I'm tougher. I, I, I can make it. Or, or we say some frivolous thing like, well, God's going to help me. God's going to get me through this. Let me tell you, if we neglect the worship of God, our obedience to God, our service for God, our fellowship with God... We can't expect the help from God. Amen. We can't expect His blessings. And it's one thing to just rear back on your hind legs and say, I'm banking all of my hopes on that promise over there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, but my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory. A lot of folks trying to claim that to have no right to claim that. The verse is true. But it's true in the context in which it is given there. And that is a church that had given above and beyond that which they were able. And a church that was supportive of the Apostle Paul when he had nobody else. Uh, he could depend on them. And he is assuring them. I love the promises in the book of Philippians. He, he tells them, and I remember as a young preacher... This verse over in chapter 1, verse 6, said, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because, man, when God called me to preach, I thought, Bev can tell you my greatest fear when I started preaching was I was going to get up there and get all excited and talking about the Lord and doing what's right. And I was scared to death. I was going to cuss a blue streak. I had cussed all of my life. 
I was raised in a family that cussed one curse word after another. It scared me to death. I thought it's going to slip out sooner or later. But that was only a minor part of my fears. I just couldn't believe that God would call somebody like me to preach. I didn't understand. In some ways, I don't understand that today, except for the fact that I know that he uses the things that are foolish and yeah, I'll choose somebody like that because then I'm the only one that can get any glory from it. And I looked at that, that he that began a good work in you. He'll perform it. Because it's he, him working in us, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And whenever we stop, you know, trying and just start trusting God to make it happen. That's when we can see things happen. As I've said so many times, chapter 4, Philippians verse 13, I can do all things. Now how awful it would be if there had been a period there. I can do all things. You know, that's liable to get somebody killed, have that kind of an attitude. I can do all things, but the, it says through Christ which what strengtheneth me. Amen. That promise, and God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory. He didn't say out of his riches as though to deplenish the supply up there, but according to, because God supplies never any less than it always was. Amen. We can just keep drawing from it and drawing from it one generation after another drawing from that supply because he's God and he never changes. So all of these wonderful promises, but here's the key to all of them. Chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. That's why Paul could claim those promises. That's the only reason that you and I are able to appropriate what God has made available. Whenever we have that attitude, we reach that point of surrender in our life that for to me to live is Christ. It's not about me becoming famous. It's not about me becoming wealthy. It's not be about me having fun. It's not, a, no. It's all about for me to live. It, it's all about Jesus, all about Christ. When that's the number one motivating factor in a person's life and they surrender themselves to God, then you have a right to claim the promises that God has given that He'll supply all of your need, that He'll give you that strength, that power that's beyond anything imaginable. We don't have to live a life of defeat. Regardless of our circumstances, we can be victorious in this battle. Amen. So, Dad, maybe you're here this morning, and it might be that you never even realized just how, how needy you really are. You, you've got, listen, you've got a big job on your shoulders. We, we all, nobody learns how to be a father from a class or a book. You learn as you go. 
You really do. I, I mean, you just have to experience it. And you certainly can't predict what's going to happen. You've got teenagers for sure. You, <laughs> it's a guessing game. And you can think ahead and wonder all you want. Well, if they ever do this, I, I, I know how I deal with it. Yeah. Let me tell you, you need help that's beyond your abilities. The only way, and please don't misunderstand this, the only way that you can be the father you need to be to your children. Ladies, the only way you can be the mother that your children need the only way any of us can be what we need to be is by us surrendering our life to do the will of God and to trust that the Holy Spirit will work through us to fulfill God's will in our life. And it's all a matter of whether we're willing to trust Him. It's all about faith. Putting our faith in Him that He'll do as He promised would you trust him this morning? Dad, you might be here. You've, are, you've already been saved. Maybe for many years you've been saved. You've gone through frustrating things. It might be you're going through some great difficulty in your life right now and you're wondering to yourself, how in, how in the world am I going to get through this? It goes back to what I said. We can't neglect the worship of God disobey the will of God and so forth and do all of those things and expect God to get us through something. It's only whenever we as God's people yield ourselves to Him. We have every right to live with expectations that God's going to do this. Amen. God's going to, what do you say? We, we are more than conquerors. Yes. Not just barely winning, we're more than conquerors. But it's through Christ. You can be a winner today. A winner to your children. The hero of your home. Let's all stand together. Brother David and the musicians are going to come. And we're going to give an invitation. I don't know what God might be saying to you. Some folks here that are unsaved. And I, I think I can clearly say without any doubt. If you're here and unsaved. I know exactly what God wants you to do. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want you to die in that condition. He wants to save you. He wants to show the greatness of his love and power and save you. But God might be speaking to someone today about something that totally unknown to anyone else, a struggle, difficulty, whatever it is. Why don't you bring it to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, here it is. I'm, I, I'm in a battle that I can't win. And I'm, I'm just going to turn my life over to you. I want to leave here and be able to honestly say, like Paul did, for to me to live is Christ. And if we can't say that, why are we even living? For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Father, may your spirit right now speak to hearts, transform lives, glorify you. For we ask it in the precious name of our dear Lord and Savior. Amen.